Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here on this day, whatever day that is that you're watching or listening. Uh, you can play catch up. You can watch it years from now, uh, or you could watch it uh, on this very day, which is Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. Our catechesis continues in Matthew's Gospel. We'll be in Matthew 19 again today. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray our psalm for the week, Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud, or thanksgiving aloud, and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, and whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. There's two uh, verses in the psalm that uh, could be used architecturally. What you say? Yes. Um, I think I've seen it's used in another psalm, or at least one more psalm, um, but used here, verse 8, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And I've seen that inscribed above the entrance to the church. So when you're coming into the nave from the... um, from the uh, narthex, right, in that archway, in our case, uh, to inscribe that, you know, in, in uh, foiled lettering or something. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Wouldn't that be great to see that every time you go in? But you could even do verse uh, 12. I haven't seen this used, but it connects, right? My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord, right? So you could say in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. That would be interesting too. But especially verse 8. There's no reason why we couldn't decorate it in such a way. Because it is good to be in the presence of the Lord. All right. Our verse for the week is from Matthew chapter 7, the gospel from last Sunday. We say it together. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 16. Again, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them 
by their fruits. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 16. Okay, Catechism, Lord's Prayer, first petition, hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we, as the people of God, or children of God, excuse me, also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. All right. For some additional catechesis today, let's hear from Luther on the large catechism on this petition, Hallowed Be Thy Name. He says, and by the way, large catechism is the instruction book for parents. So um, parents of children, um, you do well to learn the large catechism and to uh, study it uh, before trying to catechize your own children. All right, he says, this indeed, or this is indeed somewhat difficult and not expressed in good German. For in our mother tongue, we would say, Heavenly Father, help us in every way so that your name may be holy. But what does it mean to pray that his name may be holy? Is it not holy already? Answer, yes. It is always holy in its nature, but in our use, it is not holy. For God's name was given to us when we became Christians and were baptized. So we are called God's children and have the sacraments by which he connects us with himself so that everything that belongs to God must serve for our use. Think of last night's sermon. Now, here is a great need that we ought to be most concerned about. This name should have its proper honor. It should be valued holy and grand as the greatest treasure and holy thing that we have. Holy thing, the heilgtum, or relic. As God's children, we should pray that God's name, which is already holy in heaven, may also be and remain holy with us upon earth and in all the world. So that's the uh, first question, right? But how does it become holy amongst us? That's the second question. Answer, as plainly as it can be said when both our doctrine and life are godly and Christian. Right? Again, when both our doctrine and life are godly and Christian, which is what he talks about here in the small catechism. Since we call God our Father in this prayer, it is our duty always to act and behave ourselves as godly children, that he may not receive shame but honor and praise from us. Now, God's name is profaned by us either through our words or in our works. For whatever we do upon the earth must either be either words or works, speech or act. In the first place, then, God's name is profaned when people preach, teach, or say in God's name what is false and misleading. They use his name like an ornament and a track, a market for falsehood. It'd be like just putting Christian uh, out in front of your church or in the name, but not actually preaching Christ. That is indeed the greatest way to profane and dishonor the divine name. Furthermore, men, by swearing, cursing, conjuring, and other Other such actions grossly abuse the holy name as a cloak for their shame. In the second place, God's name is profaned by an openly wicked life and works. When those who are called Christians and God's people are adulterers, drunkards, misers, enviers, and slanderers. Here again, God's name must come to shame and be profaned because of us. It is a shame and disgrace for a flesh and blood father to have a bad perverse child that opposes him in words and deeds. Because of that child, the father suffers contempt and reproach. In the same way also, it brings dishonor upon God if we are called by his name and have all kinds of goods from him. Yet we teach 
speak, and live in any other way than as godly and heavenly children. People would say about us that we must not be God's children, but the devil's children. So you see that in this petition we pray for exactly what God demands in the second commandment. First petition connects to the second commandment. We pray that his name not be taken in vain to curse, swear, lie, deceive, and so on, but be used well for God's praise and honor. For whoever uses God's name for any sort of wrong profanes and desecrates this holy name. This is how it is used, uh, used to be, excuse me, when the ch- a church was considered desecrated, when a murder or any other crime had been committed in it, or a monstrance or relic was desecrated as though it were holy in themselves, when they became unholy by misuse. So the point, this point is easy and clear if only the language is understood. Pay attention. To hallow means the same as to praise, magnify, and honor both in word and deed. To hallow means the same as to praise, magnify, and honor both in word and deed. Finally, here, now learn what great need there is for such prayer. Because we see how full the world is of sects and false teachers who all wear the holy name as a cover and a sham for the doctrines of the devils. We should by all means pray without ceasing and cry out and call upon God against all people who preach and believe falsely. We should pray against whatever opposes and persecutes our gospel and pure doctrine and would suppress it as do bishops, tyrants, and enthusiasts and such. Likewise, we should pray for ourselves who have God's word but are not thankful for it nor live um, like we ought according to that word. If you pray for, for this with your heart, you can be sure that it pleases God. For he will not hear anything more dear to him than that his honor and praise is exalted above everything else, and that his word is taught in its purity and is considered precious and dear. Okay. So there, Luther doesn't um, bring, actually, I I would suggest he doesn't bring any new ideas to what we see in the small catechism. Um, We see that elsewhere where maybe he introduces some other ideas for parents to consider, questions that might come up. Um, But here he just really is expounding upon what we just confessed with simple words, from the small catechism. Okay, our first reading today is from a continuation from Isaiah chapter 49. Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, Go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all the desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by by the springs of water he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Shanim. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people, and will have mercy on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Some of my favorite expressions from Isaiah are in this. Um, You know, we have the commendation of, from the father, I would suggest, to the son, right? Uh, To preserve him and to send him with salvation as a testament to the people. 
to restore the earth, to restore the prisoners, to bring out those in darkness, right? To, to give uh, for their hunger and thirst, to give shade from the sun, to have mercy and to guide them, to lead them to springs of living water. All of this co- comes up both in the Gospels and again um, in, I think in Hebrews, but also in Revelation. But here at the end, I have ins- see I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Right, of course, we're here. We hear the the wounds, the pierce, the narrow piercings, right, which uh, he still bears and still shows to us even before the altar as he holds forth his hands, right. Um, but actually, the marks in his hands, according to Isaiah here, um, are the, are where he puts us. He puts us in his hands, right, in those wounds. That is, he forgives us by those wounds, right. And even despite our complaints. Um, not our laments, which are done in faith, but our complaints done outside of faith, yet he still has compassion, and he does not forget us, even if, if we forget him. What beautiful gospel, right? We talked about that yesterday. Isaiah, especially 49 here, this chapter. Okay, and then our reading for more catechesis is Matthew chapter 19. Yesterday we had the little children, do not forbid them, and now we have uh, the rich young ruler come to him. Matthew 19, beginning verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal, or may have eternal life? Excuse me. So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 9 and 10. All right. The young man still said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Okay, there's quite a bit to consider here, isn't there? Uh, we hear this pericope in the summer, although I don't believe we hear it from Matthew. I think we hear it from Luke, which is why the words are a little different to me. All right, you know what I say with stumbling a bit at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> when you uh, have taught and preached from one set of readings for uh, now going on fifteen years, uh, plus or minus, well, uh, it's hard not to inculcate that reading and not uh, the parallel text. But anyway, all right, what name did? The man give to Jesus. I think it's the uh, Agathos Didaskalos, if I remember right. You know, everybody should remember their Greek, right? <laughs> or not. 
Uh, let's see. Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, man came to him saying, Didaskala agathe. Yep. Um, so good teacher. Good teacher. That's what that means. Good teacher. Didaskas. From which we get like didactic. Right? Uh, what's the man want to know? We have that word agathe again. Right? Good. What good thing shall I do to have eternal life? Ask a law question. What do you get? A law answer. Always remember that. Right? So he asks a law question. What good thing shall I do? Right? The law demands. And so Jesus' response is interesting. The answer is with the law, right? First, though, why do you call me good? Are you confessing me to be God? That's really what he's asking, right? There's no one who is good but God. All right, and since he asked the law question, what must I do to have eternal life? Uh, which is an inheritance. I notice I enter, entered that. And of course, as you know, with inheritance, you don't do anything uh, except for kill, um, <laughs> to kill your father, actually. Uh, that would be the only way. And even then, you would be getting your inheritance by fraud. So that doesn't usually work. Um, but here, what is it? What's his answer? What's the law answer? What shall I do? Keep the commandments, of course. Right? Uh, now, the uh, rich young ruler here wants to know which ones, which ones he should keep. So is eternal life only going to come from one or more of them? Not from all of them? Yeah, you see. So then uh, Jesus uh, gives the commandments. And he doesn't list them quite in order, which is fine. We have the fifth commandment, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, or no, the eighth, then the fourth, um, the ninth and tenth, kind of included in the last, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or you could say that's the summary of the second table. Right? Uh, there's a question. Is it also kind of like the law is us and the gospel is Jesus? Um, well, I would, I would suggest it this way, and you, Vicki, you heard this in the sermon last night. We think in terms of the law, um, Jesus thinks in terms of gospel. What can I give these people that they may be righteous? Right? As we say, what must I do to be righteous? Right? Uh, and then think of like Galatians 5, where I think it's Galatians 5, uh, where Paul asserts that the law was given to increase the trespasses. So since we operate in terms of merit, earning, um, you know, what must I do, then um, God through Moses actually gave even more to do. So if you think of like the book of Leviticus and all the, all the rules and regulations for both civil, religious, and personal life, right? Uh, why did he do that? That we would cry out in mercy and say, oh, what a sinner that I am, Right? that the law given would then reveal how unlawful we are despite our attempts and our thoughts that we could be lawful, or that especially that we could earn or merit eternal life, salvation, whatever, by our works. So, yeah, we think in terms of law, Jesus thinks in terms of gospel. Um, but here, um, the, the alien work, the, not the proper work of Jesus to forgive, but um, first he must reveal sin to us, right? So he gives... Uh, the law in its full severity. Well, actually, not quite, because it's only the second table, right? Um, why start with the fifth commandment and come to the fourth at the end? Why not start with the fourth? Well, the fifth, you shall not murder, right? This uh, Jesus is giving us a little bit of a sneak peek. The reason why Jesus is murdered is because he brings an end to the law, right? Now, the Pharisees, scribes, those who call out um, to crucify him, right, and incite the mob to do so as well, um, they are, they reject the entire premise that the Messiah comes to bring an end to the law, to bring peace 
tranquility, safety, all through forgiveness of sins. Whereas they, their whole schema operates according to thou shalt and thou shalt not. Right? And they've added substantially to even what Moses had given. Right? So he's pointing forward to is actually, he's going to be killed for this teaching. Right? No one is good but God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And even the demand to keep the commandments cannot be fulfilled by us, by reason, strength, or by um, any kind of ability that belongs to us, by nature. All right. Oh, so there's a lot there. Uh, now, the young man says, oh, good. <laughs> All these things I have kept from my youth. But why haven't, I received, why haven't you promised me eternal life, right? That's, that's the implied question. What do I still lack? Right? Why? So then he says, if you want to be perfect, that is complete, not lacking, huh? Uh, what does he need? To go sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Right? Um, now this might remind you of our sermon text from last night. Those of you who were in church heard the, heard the preaching there about the uh, treasure hidden in the field or the pearl uh, of great price, right? Uh, where you heard, uh, properly speaking, those parables, the kingdom of heaven parables, are about um, Jesus' love for you. You are the treasure. Uh, and he's the one that sold everything that he had to buy his church uh, with his blood. Right? So he's, he, uh, this is the way the law works. The law demands that you be Jesus. And of course then, when you compare yourself to Jesus, what would Jesus do? You find that you are always fall short of the glory of God. Right? as we confess, or lack the perfection that God demands. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, we only had commandments 4 through um, four through 8, and then implied, I think, 9 and 10. So the second table, we haven't had the first table, but now we do, I think. Right? What's he say? Come, follow me. You shall have no other gods. Right? Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day. Listen to my word. Right? That's what he actually needs. It's implied here. Right? To be good is to follow the good teacher, who is, of course, who is good, but God alone, who is God made flesh, God the Son. All right. Um, come follow me. <clears throat> Sounds familiar. We actually had that back. Oh, where is it? Matthew 9? Yeah, Matthew 9. We had um, the calling of the evangelist Matthew. All right. The young man goes away sorrowful. Why? Because he is indicted by the law. He had great possessions, and he refused to give them up. All right. So what have they become to him? An idol. Right, so the violation of the first table um, is comes there when he has to sell everything and follow Jesus. Okay, then Jesus uh, turns to his disciples, right, and uses this as a teaching moment, some catechesis for them. Right, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right, and now we have almost a well, we have a comparison, a simile, uh, kingdom of heaven parable. And uh, this is helpful. If you were there in church last night, you will recognize what's going on here. I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Camel being a large, unclean animal, according to Leviticus. Right? Um, this isn't to be understood literally. Right? This is a simile to show how outrageous the kingdom of heaven is that operates, where everything is given freely as a gift from, from God, out of his goodness, not out of ours. It's not by our doing, but by his giving. Right? If it were about our doing, it would be impossible. You see? All right. Uh, But I don't think the disciples understood it as, wow, the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is so amazing. It's all given freely as a gift, right? 
It's not by our doing. It's not by our giving away. It's not by our following even. Um, it's simply by God choosing us and bringing us into his kingdom. And um, so that's why they say, who then can be saved? That is the right response to the, the killing work of the law, which he has proclaimed to that rich young, wrong, young ruler. Not to go away sorrowful, but to say, well, then who can be saved? Right question. All right? See how that works? Now that the law has done its work, right? With man, this is impossible, with men, um, but with God, all things are possible, especially in regards here to the kingdom of heaven. Um, so uh, this might be a good time to, to think about the people whom the Lord has chosen to save, um, whom we think are unsavable. Uh, read uh, Mission at Nuremberg, uh, which we read on Banned Books podcast probably years ago now, two, three years ago, all right? Uh, talk about uh, its uh, secondhand account of um, one of the chaplains at the trials at Nuremberg and uh, trying to uh, to seek out confessions from those being tried as uh, criminals, right? And some of them did confess, repented of their sins, received absolution, uh, was given were given the sacrament, even though because of their crimes were still hanged, right? God saved them from death, just like, uh, you know, a thief on a cross kind of thing. Uh, or you might think of someone like uh, that Chuck Colson ministered to, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was an example of that. Abhorrent crimes committed against, um, actually locally here, right, Milwaukee area, over many years, decades. And yet, um, heard the gospel, um, received absolution in confession, right, uh, and was killed later by inmates. Unsavable people, at least for man, but not for God. All right, Peter still doesn't get it. This is why I always groan when Peter opens his mouth, um, maybe because I see too much of myself in him. Oh, we've done it. We left everything and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Mm. I think Jesus here amplifies the law again for Peter, that Peter too um, will uh, be humiliated. Right. But we'll get to that in a minute. So here, again, Peter really talks just like the rich young ruler. What have we earned for our obedience? Ugh. Is the right response. All right, so then Jesus refers to the last day, the time of regeneration. That's uh, the, the, we might say the resurrection would be good, although we're regenerated in baptism, now by faith and then by sight. But obviously, Son of Man sitting on his throne in glory. The promise for those who follow him is that they'll sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, and those who have, for the sake of Christ, for the gospel, have uh, had to forsake more than just uh, earthly treasures, but even um, houses, brothers, sisters, uh, father, mother, wife, children, land, you know, anything, everything for Christ and for the gospel. What is he, for his namesake, actually, is what he says, right? Yeah. What will they receive? A hundredfold. That is, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, houses, right? And, and in etern- inherit, there's the word, eternal life, right? So now, we, we didn't have inherit from the rich young ruler in verse 16, but we do with Jesus at the end. It's a gift, given. All right? And then that last word, which we hear repeated throughout the gospel, many who are first will be last and the last first. Right? So we see how when the law does its killing work, then they are raised up to the place of glory. Those who refuse to die are taken from the glory they thought they had to have no glory at all, humiliated. And that's what happened to the rich young ruler. Okay, the young man comes to find out what good thing he needs to do to inherit eternal life. But Jesus is the good one who does all that is necessary for our salvation. 
Jesus refers to the commandments regarding love for neighbor, just as in the Sermon on the Mount, to draw attention to the first three regarding love for God and true worship of God. He had no true love for God because he saw the commandments as a means to obtain what he desired for himself. By listing the fifth first, Jesus reminds us that the work of our salvation is complete when he is killed in our place to rescue our bodies from death and give them the resurrection. Unlike Matthew, this young man goes away sad because he clings to his possessions for the good in his life rather than the good one who gives life. Here we also learn that faith is a gracious gift of God. As we confess in the third article, it is not possible for us to believe in Christ or to come to him, but the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel. All right. So again, like you heard last night here, Jesus with this rich young ruler is undermining um, the, the way that he thinks the kingdom of God should operate, the kingdom of heaven, uh, and that it should operate according to the kingdom of the world. And it doesn't. All right. Good. Sing our hymn for the week, In God My Faithful God. Be heirs of heavenly glad. 
We have a commemoration today. I guess I neglected to look ahead, but uh, I see there's one for today. Are we August 3rd? Okay. The next commemoration is not till the 10th, so in a week. Today we remember and thank God for his servants, Joanna, Mary, and Salome, the myrrh bearers. Uh, by the way, I think in the Eastern Church there's seven or nine. I can't remember instead of just the three. Joanna, Mary, and Salome. The sun fell lower in the sky as Joseph and Nicodemus trudged along with the body of Jesus. They thought Joseph's new tomb would serve as a resting place for his body until the flesh was consumed and his bones could be given final burial in an ossuary. Behind them came the women in sad procession. Mary Magdalene and the three women commemorated today. Joanna was the wife of the steward of Herod's household. Mary was the mother of James. Salome was the mother of Zebedee's children, James and John. While they walked, the shadows lengthened and the mandatory Sabbath rest loomed. The men only had time to spread out the linen and lay Jesus' body upon it, no time even to wash the corpse and prepare it properly. It would have to wait. Perhaps they tied a band around his head to keep the slack jaw closed. Perhaps they spread the linen atop his body and bound it with bands. It might at least soak up some of the blood and fluid and make their work easier when the Sabbath was done. As the sun sank, the men rolled the stone before the tomb and left. In tearful silence, the myrrh-bearers watched it all. The unfinished final act of love, preparing the body, consumed their hearts and minds all the Sabbath. As soon as the sun had set, that Saturday, they hurried to purchase more myrrh and spices so that they'd be ready to tend to their master come the first hint of dawn. With the gift of love, they make their way in dawn's first light, only to be met with utter confusion. The tomb was open and no body was in it. Yet angels announced that they were looking in the wrong spot for Jesus of Nazareth, for he was no longer dead, but had risen as he promised. In fear and trembling, they ran from the tomb, unable to process what they had heard. Matthew records this as the final, as the moment when Jesus met them and bid them to rejoice and hurry and tell his disciples the good news of the resurrection. They had come to bring the spices that would somewhat cover up the stench of death, He had risen to deliver them and to us, all the source of unending joy, the spice that dissipates the rank odor of sin and death itself. He had risen to pour over them the sweet anointing of his everlasting righteousness and life. Yet the church rejoices to remember the love and devotion of Joanna, Mary, and Salome, along with Mary Magdalene commemorated on her own day. Still, among us in the church are those who tend the suffering, dying, and dead. Their love and care remind those who suffer and mourn of the nail-scarred hands of the one whom death could not defeat, and his promise of everlasting life to all who believe in his name. We pray. Almighty God, your crucified and buried Son did not remain in the tomb for long. Give us joy in the task before us that we might carry out faithful acts, as did Joanna, Mary, and Salome, offering to you the sweet perfume 
of grateful hearts, so that we too may see the glory of your resurrection and proclaim the good news with unrestrained eagerness and fervor worked in us through our Lord Jesus Christ, who rose and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray. Grant to us, Lord, the Spirit, to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without you may be enabled by you to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray this day for the church and her pastors, for all missionaries, teachers, deaconesses, musicians, and other servants of Christ in his church, for the fruitful and salutary use of the blessed sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Uh, Let's see, we pray today for the households of our church, especially for Stephen and Penny, Nicholas, David, Rolf and Linda, David and Sherry, Ryan and Cassidy. Pray for our catechumens. Pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering. Pray for all our homebound, especially Marcy, Marion, Dan, Paul, Dolores, Merlin, and Pauline. Pray for our mission of the month, Sheboygan County Hispanic Ministry. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, that's our congregation prayer for today, Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. And uh, I referred to the sermon from last night. You can uh, go and listen or watch that once I get it posted um, on the YouTube or in the podcast platforms. Always just go to our website. Um, There is a new URL that's shorter. If you can't remember this one, it's sjrl.org. At some point, we'll change everything. sjrl.org. And uh, you can go to church, then scroll down to media, and you'll find um, all of it there. All right. Otherwise, uh, God be with you all. Keep you safe. We'll see you again in the morning. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.